Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, Joe Slack, and joining me today is Laya Gonzalez from Wonderbow Games. Laya is a maker and a connector. She is driven by turning visions into reality. Laying some chunky tiles and time traveling for her first time, she got into the board game hobby in the last few years. She's an editor and the engine of Wonderboat. Uh, Laya, thank you so much for joining me here for the Board Game Bench. Thank you so much to you. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I was so glad when you agreed to be interviewed, because uh, I know James already spoke with Carl Robinson, who's the designer of your latest game, Kelp. But I've been seeing your ads uh, so constantly, and I was so impressed <laughs> with the success of your Kickstarter campaign uh, that I wanted to talk to you as well about sort of the marketing and publishing side of this successful mm -hmm. game. So uh, without further ado, uh, this is the second game you're publishing, if I'm not mistaken. And yes. I'm just curious, what lessons did you learn from your previous Kickstarter campaign that you've used to improve and, uh, you know, just increase your presence on your second campaign? So um, it's our second board game Kickstarter campaign, but it's actually our fourth crowdfunding campaign. Uh, we've done two previous campaigns for documentaries, which is a total different thing. But what we actually have learned over and over again is doing a Kickstarter campaign successfully is all about doing the campaign before the campaign. Um, on the very first uh, crowdfunding campaign, also on Kickstarter, I didn't know anything about it. We just pressed launch and it was like, okay, now we have to tell people about it. <laughs> That's like like seven, eight years ago when we did it. Um, we learned then that you have to do the work before you actually uh, press the launch button. And um, there's not that much um, different that we have learned from the previous games campaign because we already knew what we wanted to do for this one so that we can get the word out and um, yeah it has been like almost a year of already talking about the game before we even had um, before we launched actually yeah excellent so what forms of advertising did you use and which methods did you find to be uh, the most effective so I would say the most effective one, I don't know if those brought us the, the, the highest number of backers, but I think the most effective and satisfying method of uh, advertising was actually going to conventions. Mm -hmm. um, we've been to, I think, six or seven conventions this year. Um, we have traveled a lot. We are based in Germany, went to the UK, went to Gen Con in America, and then to some uh, other smaller conventions. and. We have a lot of people now that, that are backing the Kickstarter that said, oh, I met you then and I met you there. And this is just so important because we did, we were able to gather a lot of great feedback back then. And we have been able to take like a, a I don't know how high the amount of people is, but I think like a certain number of people that just came with us on the journey from meeting us at the convention, following us on Instagram or TikTok or Discord or wherever and then now going into the um, the Kickstarter page. Apart from, of course, running ads. I mean, running ads is more effective because you reach much more people all around the world, but um, the, nicest, the nicest marketing, I think, has been just going to conventions and meeting everyone. That's fantastic. So at these conventions, did you always have um, a booth or a table? And then how did you go about making sure that people would remember your game? Did you get them to sign up for an email list or some other kind of reminder? 
Yeah, so we did uh, book booth this year and it was also like a big investment for us because usually if you go to a convention, you want to be able to sell games and we only had this one game that we were able to sell our previous one, but just by only having one title to sell, you're not going to cover your costs on a, con on a convention booth. So we have seen this as being uh, investment for kelp and it has, it has paid out, of course, now, thankfully. And um, yeah, we um, started... We, on the first convention we went to, we had already published the Kickstarter pre-launch page where everyone could sign up, but we also made a, a designated website for Kelp where we published also all the dates of the conventions we were going to, more photos and videos and every, all the content that we just kept making, we published that on, on this special website and there people could enter the email as well. And um, for this particular campaign, we also had a different way of approaching people beforehand. So we met this agency called Launchboom uh, at GenCon, and we decided to work with them because they had a very good idea on how to approach people before the campaign, where you're not only asking them to give the, uh, to give you their email address and then just hope that they they come back, because we saw on our previous campaign that we spent. Uh, Quite a lot of money on getting email addresses via events, ads, whatever, and we had a really low conversion rate just from the email signups. And what this agency told us is, um, if you can get people to be engaged with you in your game beforehand by already giving you one dollar and you give them something back that is really valuable, chances are really high that a much larger number of people will actually back the game. And we thought like, yeah, that makes totally sense. You know, if, if, if I tell you I have this great game and I will give you this mini expansion that goes with the game. And if you tell me now that you wanna have it and you give me $1, which will, uh, we will also make it available for everyone else just at a regular price. But if you give me this $1 now, I can gather as much information as, as possible to see how many people we can reach to be able to build the best um, campaign that we can do and also the best product and find the lowest price points and everything. So the more people that we got involved beforehand giving us this $1 helped us make the best campaign page we could and the, and the best offer. So this has worked really well beforehand. and. Um, some people didn't like it, but a lot of people did. And a lot of people actually reserved the mini expansion beforehand. And this really um, helped us a lot. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that it's it's really asking somebody to make a very, very small micro commitment. Most people yeah. can afford $1. And um, yeah. just having people do that. Uh, anybody can say, this is really interesting, or yeah, I'll back your game. But once they yeah. actually you know, open up their purse or their wallet and, and give you something, even if it's only a dollar, they're making some exactly. kind of commitment to you. So that's a, that's exactly. a really interesting uh, strategy you took. And you said, so people were basically uh, putting like almost like a down payment on, on this expansion for a game that they hadn't even uh, purchased mm -hmm. yet. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we went about it like it for us, this is a strategy that has been done in other product categories, like in the tech category or whatever. And I think uh, the launch boom agency, they just figure out it's also really a good way to approach people that like board games, because you can do all this kind of expansions and stuff that you can you can include as add-ons. And um, so we went about it um, a bit differently also that what just the um, launch boom 
told us to do so. We wanted to have this mini expansion beforehand, but we also wanted to have it during the campaign. We didn't want to make it super exclusive. No one else can get it. Kind of just just going after the formal experience, you know. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to have it available for everyone. But still, if you trust me enough to give me a dollar beforehand, I will put in also the extra work. I will uh, send you many more updates. We made a special Facebook group. We actually showed the Kickstarter page a week before to those people that actually gave us the dollar. Um, and and we will give it to you for a reduced price. And actually, even I mean that's that's uh, that's super weird. But I mean the dollar that people um, gave us, it it's not even covering the manufacturing costs, and it's especially not covering the <laughs> the payment payment fees that we have to pay Stripe, the credit card company that actually collects the dollar. So for us, it was again an investment, but uh, a very a very I think a very valid way to actually try to find out what your audience is, you know, how many people actually want to have the game, you know? Yeah. It sounds like it was have. really an approach to get an, an investment. Um, rather you yeah. had, um, you know, people who were now committed to you, who were becoming, you know, super fans who, you know, are loving that you're giving yeah. me a great deal on, on this thing. I'm finding all about the game and, and they get really closer uh, to you as, as, you know, person, as a company, um, have more trust in you. And then when the game launches, they already know so much about you and, yeah. and everything. So it just, it just made it a lot easier, I'm sure for, for people to uh, hit that pledge button afterwards. Yeah, we also wanted to have a lot of content about the game out before we actually started to run the pre-sales because um, we also read on some blogs like a lot of companies usually just ask for money, not telling anything about it. So, I mean, we started doing those ads at the beginning of September, but we went to GenCon in August. We had articles come uh, published about the game and reviews published about the game. We tried to have as m much content as we had beforehand so that people wouldn't like buy something they they don't know anything about. I mean, of course, no one was able to play it by then, uh, only on conventions. Um, but um, still, it wasn't that it, we didn't. So we wanted to be able to give enough information that people would feel comfortable giving us $1. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so with uh, building this up, doing all this pre-launch work, um, can you share with us some numbers, even some rough numbers around how many followers you had, like on your notification page, uh, before you launched, uh, how many on your email list and that kind of thing. So we can see like how that resulted sure. in, you know, how many backers you've got already. Yeah, sure. So, um, we had around about 1,500, uh, followers on the Kickstarter page before we started running ads. And then we started running ads uh, on the pre-reservation page and also on the Kickstarter page directly. And before we launched, we had um, 4,900 backers. So it did uh, grow quite a lot. And we did have um, around 2,000 newsletter subscribers from our previous game. And now we are at 8,000 uh, subscribers. With, so we gained 6,000 new subscribers. And out of those 6,000 people, 2,000 people reserved the mini expansion. So it's oh. like almost a third of people. So when we discussed these numbers with um, LaunchBoom, they said, okay, this is great. You're gonna be, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna be good. You're gonna have a successful launch. Uh, usually you see like around about 30, 35, 45% of those um, pre-reservations actually convert. It's gonna be good. So we were like, okay, great. If, if everything goes well, then we will have maybe, maybe 
if we're lucky, 3,000 backers when the campaign ends. That that was our um, hope. It was much bigger than that. But, um, <laughs> you but, probably yeah. had that on day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, I think, uh, 1,500 on day one or something like that. I, I don't know exactly. But um, yeah, so I think I think that's why I also believe you can run a really good ad strategy and marketing marketing strategy, and you can try to calculate all the numbers with with the help of of our advertising coaches or how we want to call them. But in the end, if if a product is successful, it depends of, on so many other factors as well. So we had the numbers down based on their experience and what they projected and everything. But we maybe did underestimate a little bit that we actually managed to communicate the uniqueness of this game through like even on top of whatever marketing sales strategy we were we were going for. So this is what we really love about it, that people actually appreciate the uniqueness of this game and are just are coming, you know, and, and, and want to have it. So, yeah, I mean, between the game and, and then the strategy of bringing people in, I mean, you hear uh, some people say you can get a conversion rate of about 10 or 20%, somewhere in that range of people that generally sign up for your email list when it's just, mm -hmm. you know, sign up to be notified for uh, my Kickstarter campaign that's coming up. But you're saying that you're like looking at somewhere more like 30 to 40% for the people that actually like committed that $1 uh, for the expansion. Yeah, we can't say for sure because we don't have the email addresses of the backers yet. So mm. that's only what we estimate. Right now, we have a 23% conversion rate looking at Kickstarter followers if they backed. But we don't have any information on our newsletter subscribers yet. What we do know, and this is also what, what Launchboom said, it's like, okay, you have 6,000 newsletter subscri subscribers. Out of them, 2,000 reserved. This is a really high purchase intent. So a lot of people really want to have it. So it could be good. That's yeah, one, one third of like, people yeah, committed to that. And then, yeah. I mean, the, the good thing is if you have a really good first day or two, you fund very quickly, then mm -hmm. other people start to see the campaign and people love yeah. backing a winner too. So uh, yeah. it just goes back to that importance of how, how funding quickly is really important yeah. to get that momentum going and get other people to see your game and for it to just continue and just kind of spiral. And in your case, kind of go viral almost. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we went viral. I saw that someone made a meme with us. That was really cool. So <laughs> I think that's like the highest honor you can get on the internet if someone makes a meme with your game. So You know you've made it if you got a meme after your yeah, game. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So um, I know you were saying, you know, uh, LaunchBoom had some projections and you had some ideas of how many uh, people you might have coming in. Um, did you expect the success that you've been having and, and what in specific really surprised you um, once you launched? So we didn't expect to be that big at all. We expected to have, if everything goes well, like 3000 backers. We had planned our stretch goals that we can get them throughout 28 days. We we ran, we, we crushed all the stretch goals on day three. And then everyone was like, we want more stretch goals. We were like, oh my God, what are we gonna do now? Like I've been planning this project for months and I've been calculating everything and seeing what can we add that we can work with the manufacturing costs that we don't add too much shipping weight and everything. And then suddenly everything changes. Which is a good thing, of course, but I mean, there is only so much we can do now on stretch goals, but we have actually doubled the number on stretch goals now. So nice. it's, uh, people people like it. I understand why they like it. 
Um, so yeah, it's, this is going well. So it did surprise us that we actually got so many on day one. Day one was really, really, really strong. And, um, and we didn't run almost any ads on day one until day three. We started running the ads that you, you, you all uh, are seeing. We started running them on day four, actually. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that was um, really cool. It is, yeah. So, um, yeah, being um, uh, kelp being a, a two-player game as well, I was I was really interested to see how well it did because um, not every game that goes to Kickstarter is a two-player game or that looks like yours, a symmetrical two-player game. Yours is a little bit different than some out there. It's a bit of an, a niche game, some might consider it. So, why do you feel that you've had so much success with this game despite it having you know not not a huge like player range? It wasn't like a one to six player game. It's a little bit more limited because it can only be played with two people. So. Why do you think it's really resonated with people or it's done so well? I think people can see what we see in the game. So when Carl pitched it to us, we knew this is really special. Like the gameplay is very unique. The theme is very unique. The whole way you want to play it is very unique. I think we, well, I personally, I don't think that this is a game where I'm like, you know, trying to build things or collect points or whatever. I mean, I love those kind of games as well, but I think with Kelp, we are more like offering an experience because you do actually feel a little bit like a shark swimming around or like an octopus hiding and all the movements that both roles can do um, are based on real life um, actions that the animals do and everything. So I think we, we just saw this is such a good game we don't care if it's two players, three players, four players, whatever. We're just gonna do the best version of this game because this game is so good. And we are such a small publisher that we are gonna like put everything into this project, not really looking at what is good for the market or what do people say about everything. You know, we are way too small to talk about like, is this a niche project or is it a mass market thing or whatever? Like we just wanna do a really good game. So. We always said it's a it's a dedicated to player game, and we're gonna make the best version we can out of it. So people like it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you're talking about uh, as well, like working with Launch Boom, and they were bringing in some ideas that have worked on some other industries, like doing the uh, the one dollar kind of uh, promotion and that type of thing to get people to commit. Was there anything else that you brought, maybe from your your previous experience, or you've seen in other industries? Uh, that have kind of helped propel the campaign or or helped the, the game do better that you brought in as well? Well, um, my background is in marketing and my partner's background as well. Um, he is um, an art director and a designer and I come from um, film producing and um, we have our own marketing company since 2018 um, and hope that we can just kickstart our board game publishing business to make it full-time. We are not working on it full-time yet, um, but we hope to do it. But I think our whole background uh, helps us just make the product stand out. So we have been able to do really professional looking photos and the, the video I personally think is very well made and we are very happy about it, you know, and and all the way that we understand how to communicate what we actually want to communicate is uh, what we think has helped us make this really a success. I mean, one example, for instance, when we at the very beginning of the project, when we were talking about the name of the game, 
it was called kelp from the beginning and carl said if you think you want to change it of course think about it and everything and we were like no no we love kelp because it uh, represents the whole world or the whole setting of the game and also it's a word that works in many different languages hmm. um but we added the subtitle shark versus octopus and Carl in the beginning wasn't even a fan of it. And he even ran like a small survey on a Facebook group saying, how should we make the subtitle for the game? And then there were some different options and stuff. And I think we did decide on it, just saying, just also from a marketing perspective, because if you say shark versus octopus, you directly understand what the game is about. You know, it's two players and you know, it's a head-to-head -head battle of wits kind of, um, so, I noticed when I was at UK Games Expo and I talked to um, the people from Senate magazine, I went there and I was like, oh, I want to pitch you the game. Maybe you want to make an article about it. It's kelp. And then they were like, wait, wait, is this shark versus octopus? And I was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, you know, this is what people remember. If they can't remember the word kelp, they understand it's a shark versus an octopus. So yeah, this is one of the decisions that I think were more marketing driven, but just for the purpose of making it really clear and understandable what the game is about. And this is what I think you have to always ask yourself, like, do people understand what you want to tell them? You know? mm. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, when you hear the word kelp, you might you might kind of understand kind of the environment or some things that are involved, but you wouldn't necessarily know exactly what the game is about. But that tagline, shark versus octopus, mm -hmm. it makes it very clear. Yeah, it's 1v1. <laughs> Uh, you're playing these different roles. I mean, you know exactly what you're getting into, which I think is really helpful for people, you know, when they're picking up a, a game box or, or or thinking about yeah. what they're going to buy because they, you know, there there's, you know, the whole thing about curiosity. So kelp might get them curious and then they read a little bit more mm -hmm. and now they know. Now they know what they're getting into and then they can make yeah. that decision. This is the type of game that I'm interested, yes or no? And yeah. then, you know, you've got your your fans right there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had other options that Carl suggested as well, or in this in the Facebook group were suggested that maybe sounded more more beautiful in a sentence, but it doesn't mean that you get what that you immediately get what what we want to tell people, you know. So yeah. I think that was a very good decision. Absolutely. So um, I mean, you picked up this this game from a, another designer. So what type of games do you look for as a publisher? And what are the most important aspects of a game that you're considering publishing yourself? Um, so the most important thing for us is to have a game that we like to play because we notice if we are a, a small publisher and we want to put our hearts into it and just go to every convention, we're going to be play testing this game and explaining this game over and over and over and over and over. So you have to really love it. You must, yeah. um, <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to get really sick of your own game, which is not something you want to get into. Um, generally, we just want we just want to have a good feeling about it. So um, whatever pitch we get, we will always think about, can we make it really beautiful? This is one one aspect that we like. Zunko uh, always says, um, board games are kind of one of the rare objects, if you want to say, that you have on the table and you stare at them for hours. So they should be beautiful. Um, <laughs> So this is one of the uh, one of the things that we really want to uh, be mindful of, and um, yeah, we. I mean, I think every publisher will say it. We want to have games that are unique and uh, uh, where the where the theme can be unique or the mechanics are unique and everything. I think we will just go by our gut, and uh, I think from a difficulty level, we want to be 
kelp plus we don't want to be like super easy kind of gaming just because we enjoy a little bit of complexity in the games but never say never you know i don't know uh, i don't know what uh, what possibilities we will have in the future and what people will need and what what ideas we will uh, we will have so yeah, great to keep your options open for sure. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you you alluded to um, a game looking really nice. You're going to be staring at it for hours, that kind of thing. So, uh, and Kelp has really nice components, and I mean, you had a lot of stretch goals as well along those lines as well. And it looks really good on the table. So, how mm -hmm. much does table presence play into your decision making? Is that is that a huge part of it, or would you maybe consider a game that's maybe doesn't have as much table presence but has really amazing gameplay? I mean, it depends on how you define table presence. You know, if, even if you have uh, a card game, maybe you think it's not that big of a table presence if you only have cards, but if you can make them really beautiful, uh, it's still really nice to look at. So table presence is for us uh, important as well as the quality of illustrations, the quality of graphic design. Um, yeah, for sure. And I mean, of course, gameplay. But as I said, you want to be looking at something that is that looks good. So. Amazing. Um, do you want to let our viewers and listeners know anything more about Kelp and uh, where people can find it? Sure. So Kelp is on Kickstarter right now. Um, and it's a dedicated two-player asymmetric game where you play either a shark or you play an octopus. And you have very different ways of playing those roles. The octopus plays with cards and uses kind of a deck building system to uh, move the blocks on the board. Um, the octopus is actually hidden behind of one of those blocks and has to has the goal to survive until the end of the game. And the shark plays with dice and moves around the boards trying to hunt the octopus. And the shark only has one goal in mind, find the octopus, catch it, eat it, <laughs> be the winner. <laughs> so yeah, this is Kelp uh, on Kickstarter right now. Awesome. Well, Laya, it was a pleasure talking to you and I wish you all the success in the world with Kelp and all your future games. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast. Guest hosted by Joe Slack, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our Instagram channel, Board Game Binge Podcast, you'll get notifications of live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. We can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.